Well, good morning again. Glad you are with us once again. Aesop, you may recognize the name from childhood fables years ago. He was a Greek storyteller. He was born approximately in 620 B.C. According to Aristotle, he was born in the community of Thrace. Tradition tells us he was born as a slave, but he developed a very good talent for telling fables. A fable used to teach simple truths in a way to teach real truths in a simple yet understandable way. He had some 250 stories that he told. You may remember the story about the fox and the grapes. Fox was out on a pathway and was thirsty and saw some grapes hanging from a vine. He jumps up to try to get the grapes. He can't. After several attempts, the fox just goes on his way and says, they're probably sour anyway. Well, it sticks in your mind, doesn't it? You know, when it doesn't work out the way you want, you rationalize it away and you just dismiss it. But there was another fable that he told about a crow that was also dying of thirst. The crow's flying and sees a pitcher and swoops down to hopefully find water in that pitcher. And he finds water and it's delighted, but he's on the edge of it and he can't get to the water. So he tries to think of everything he could to reach the water. All of his efforts were in vain. And then finally, he collected a lot of stones, dropped them into the pitcher one by one, thus bringing the water within his reach. Saved his life. Simple story. What does it teach us? Persistence, perhaps. Don't give up. There's an old proverb, and I think this proverb fits this pair of this fable. The old proverb, no one really knows where it came about, how it came into our culture, our times. And that is that necessity is the mother of invention. And I think there are several corollaries to that. When you need something, you're going to think about it until you figure out how to address that need. So that makes me think about, have you ever dealt with a problem that just frustrated you completely? Mom and Dad, I'm not talking about kids. Because that's a given, okay? And we know our kids are angels most of the time. Well, some of the time. Maybe a little bit of the time. Uh, but anyway, you're frustrated. You're stumped. You're really trying to figure out, how can I do this? Maybe you just give up for a little while. Give up for the day. Maybe you go to bed. And while you're going to bed, while you're sleeping, your mind is still at work in your subconscious. Your subconscious mind is working on that. You may wake up in the middle of the night and say, I've got it. You may wake up the next morning and you're still dealing with it and you're having your coffee, your breakfast, and you ah, this will work. You know, I remember working with a client one time and 
One of my former managers had told me, and went through, Dave goes, you have to know Dave. He goes through scenarios so quickly I can't grasp it. But finally it clicked. And I knew exactly what to tell this man. And I said, here's your situation. Here's what we can do to address that situation. And he goes, I like it. Let's do it. And we did. You know, sometimes the situation, the solution is right there and it just comes to us. Sometimes you're surprised by the solution that it was so simple. Sometimes you come across something and it just catches you by surprise. That just means to catch someone by surprise, you're catching them when they're not expecting it. Now, that could be a good thing, a bad thing, depending on the situation. But I think of the catching someone by surprise is when you're working on something and the solution just comes to you. I'll date myself, but Ford used to have commercial out there, and they would use it several times to trumpet why their vehicles were better. And it was, you'd have the logo Ford name, but it was in the shape of a light bulb. And they would close, the narrator would close the commercial out, Ford has a better idea, and the light chain would pull and the bulb would light up. A better idea. We know that as we read our Bibles, that we read them regularly and we see the things and some of those things we gravitate to and we see very easily and we wonder why people can't understand it. Sometimes we read the Bible and all of a sudden something will jump right off the page. I can remember when we were doing devotionals with our children at times and we would, you know, these are, you know, 365 devotionals for the year. And it'd be March 13th, and you'd read that one, and wouldn't you know it? Invariably, there'd be something on one of those devotionals that would deal with exactly what we were going through that day. It was amazing how God works. It was like, I'm just going to throw this page in here and change it from when you bought it. I know it didn't work that way, but that's the way it was. So you're reading your Bible, and you're coming across something that just like jumps off the page. And you go, wow, why didn't I see that before? It may be something that you saw and it's just reinforced, or maybe that you just saw it in another light. And you say, oh, wow, this changes everything. It opens your eyes, and there's a surprise factor in that. There are many things that go on in life that catch people by surprise, even in the midst of war. Yeah, war is a terrible thing. Three weeks ago, on February 24th of this year, Russia invaded Ukraine. Their posturing had probably been going on for several years, going back as far as their invasion of Georgia, later their invasion of Crimea and these disputed territories. What is Putin trying to do? I really don't know. The pundits will tell you he's trying to reconstitute the former Soviet Union. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. I don't know what's going on in his mind. I definitely think he does not want the freedoms that are existing and going on in the Ukraine to spill over into Russia. Even though some of those freedoms have come about, but he still has a pretty strong fist. 
War is a terrible thing. Because in war, things are destroyed and people are killed. March 4th, I spoke at a graveside service of, for the mother of a family friend. Her daughter asked me if I would do so. War is a terrible thing. It causes death. People die apart from war. Coincidentally, the next day I was asked to officiate at a wedding on March 5th. I guess it was the extremes. You know, one day I do a funeral, the next day I do a wedding. Life has good times and it has bad times. Those who have health problems, marital stress, family problems, discord, division within the body of Christ. We could make a list and we could go on and count them and name them. And the list would just seem to go on endlessly. But the song we sang, Count Your Blessings, is true. When you start counting the blessings, even the smallest ones that we take for granted, they will quickly outweigh the negative things that you're dealing with. I don't know how people are finding time in Ukraine to talk to their friends, their family about the gospel when bombs are falling. But maybe that's the importance of it and says, you know, that next one that was two miles away could land right here. Are you ready? Let me tell you about my Jesus so that you are ready. And people are saying, I know there's more to this life than this life. And I just want to know that I have a hope. And so as we deal with life, we deal with war. There are some hidden aspects that we can learn. And the first aspect of suffering, pain, war, if you will, causes us to see our mortality. Because in times of war, somebody's going to die. Somebody is going to be maimed. All you have to do is turn on the TV and you'll see the wounded, civilians and military alike. You will see soldiers, you know, tunnels to towers, you know, is there. Wounded, disabled veterans. You see them and what they went through. That shows our mortality. That shows that I can be hurt. We've made some remarkable advancements that are so good and so wonderful. You know, we have, how many have a cell phone today? Whether it's with you or not. You know what a cell phone really is, don't you? It's an electronic leash. That's all it is. You get a text, whoops, you drop everything. You get a phone call, whoops, i got to answer that. Who cares that it's a spam call? You don't know that. It rings, it gets your attention. Transportation, years ago, by foot, by horseback, by wagon, then the invention of the automobile, then the invention of airplanes. Time has become compressed, and we can be from New York to L.A. in, I don't know, six hours maybe. L.A. to New York, you might get a tailwind that we could only dream of a few years ago. Well, many years ago. Communications, we can, as I said, get a phone call, a text, an email. With Technology and medicine advances in medical technology, we can extend human life. How many remember the first heart transplant? 
I do. Seems like it was forever ago, but it wasn't. It's done in South Africa, I believe. Political freedoms give people a voice in their government. That's remarkable. When you think of years ago, people didn't have that voice. The same technologies and freedoms that we have can be used to hurt others, to exploit others. How many use the Internet? Yeah, you can use the Internet for a lot of good things. You can probably get on the YouTube video and find out how to build a house. I know you can find YouTube videos for a lot of things. But the Internet has, while it's good for research and helping quality of life, it has a dark side as well. We can travel between places quickly and deliver death and destruction. Not even see the people on the ground because they're just a target from or around a target that we don't see them. But the target's 30,000 feet below us. As I said in the adult class in Las Vegas, we have in Nevada anyway, we have an Air Force base where they have fly drones and they can drop bombs and missiles from 10,000 miles away. It's not quite the same as being on the ground and putting a rifle up and seeing somebody as you squeeze a trigger. Never had done that, don't want to do that, but I know people who have. I've worked with them. I've got friends that served in Vietnam, that served in Afghanistan and Iraq. Sometimes the dichotomy is too much to bear. We just want to give up and we want to throw in the towel. And we realize that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 about the day. Verse 25 and following, he says, do not be anxious about your life. Now, he goes on to say about what you're going to eat, about your body, what you will put on. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Why? The basics of life that we need are food and clothing. We need shelter. And he says, life is not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Now, it already said, or we'll say on one occasion, you know, man shall, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, command this stone to become bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Life is important, but it's not the most important thing other than life in Christ. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns that your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the ocean, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you will need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. When we focus on God, we let him, he's in control. I recognize my mortality. I don't have to just take the towel and throw it in and give up. God is in control. 
And so seeing my mortality and looking beyond myself, I'm going to look beyond. I'm going to look into God. Several years ago, I think it's Alex Haley wrote Roots, the book, miniseries, ABC 1976. Big miniseries. The character, Kunta Kinte, would be captured and taken into slavery and brought over to the U.S. But the story that I remember vividly is how his father, not necessarily ascribing to all the pagan gods of his tribe and thinking of them, just takes him out and holds him up to the heavens and said, Behold, the only thing greater than yourself. I wonder if he was just thinking about, there's a God out there beyond this world. He's greater than you. And so I have to look beyond myself. I have to look to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything in them. And he's there watching us, as we've said on past occasions. And so it was in Exodus chapter 3 when he calls Moses. What does he tell him? He says, I've seen what's going on in Israel, in Egypt. I've heard the cries of my people. That tells me that God is fully aware of what's going on in the Ukraine and in Russia and the United States and down here to Yuma, Arizona and down to my own home. God is aware. But I also know that God has spoken and said, Reed, you have a sin problem. You know, sin is the Greek word harmatia, translated as missing the mark. Sin, missing the mark, is saying, God, not your way, but my way. That's what Adam and Eve did. God said, don't take this fruit of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day you do, you shall die. Literally dying, you shall die. They said, nah, it's, I want it my way. So everything that's in the world, as John would say in, second, in 1 John chapter 2, is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. That covers pretty much every reason that man sins. Man has from the very beginning wanted to take control of his life. As I said, Adam and Eve, before the flood, man lived the way he wanted to, so much so that God wanted to destroy everything and start all over. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was different. I don't know what it was in Noah that he said, well, there's Noah here. I can start over with Noah. Tower of Babel, Abraham, Saul, David, Solomon. They all had their struggles and they all went through some problems. Right down to you and me. You would have thought that Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, the book of Daniel, would have learned something. Daniel and his friends are taken captive off into Babylonian captivity. They're going to serve in the king's court, and the king wants them well-fed, well-taken care of. And he says, here's all my food. And they say, no. Daniel says, we're not going to defile ourselves. That gets their bearer, their person in charge of them fearful. Because they're not eating what the king's giving them. They're not going to fare very well. And David says, do the test. Let us eat what we're choosing so that we don't defile ourselves before our God. And they were found superior to all of their contemporaries. Why? Because of what they ate? No, but because they trusted in God. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision, a dream. It's unsettling. And as magicians, I say, well, king, tell us the vision. He says, nope. 
You tell me the vision. You tell me the dream, and then I'll know that your interpretation is true. Oh, king, no one's ever done that. I'm going to kill every one of you if you don't. Daniel gets word of this. He and his friends pray, and that God reveals it to him. And something's going on with my computer. It's not charging, but anyway, we'll let it die out. So, Lacey, I'm sorry if I lose connection. But anyway, Daniel prays, and God reveals to him the, the dream and the interpretation. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar all about it. I imagine Nebuchadnezzar is thrilled. David gave God the glory, and then in chapter 3, he forgets all about God because he says, I'm going to build this great big idol, this statue to myself, and I want everybody to worship it when the music sounds. And Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So he didn't know. He says, well, I told you to. He said, if you don't, I'm going to make this fire hotter than it's ever been before. He said, I don't care. God can save us from the fire if he chooses to. If he chooses to, great, praise God. If he chooses not to, praise God. We're not going to be bowing before your image. They trusted in God. They looked beyond life. And then that chapter 4, one of my favorite, Nebuchadnezzar had a warning again. But he forgets it. But God didn't. And God humbled him. And then he came to himself. The light came on. I know God is in control and not me. War and acts of God, as they are called in various times in politics and insurance policies, are those things that cannot prepare for an event that we cannot prepare for or prevent. Those things cause us to see our mortality, that there's something out there bigger and wiser and stronger than what I am. They should cause us to realize that this world is not our home. Yes, we are, as the song says. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. They should cause us to seek that which is eternal, that God is sovereign and rules over people, and one day all will realize it. Unfortunately for the many, it will be too late. And it is that uncertainty that Jesus addresses. History has not changed, and I would guess in great times of pain, people tend to reflect on the meaning of life, the meaning of death. Can you imagine people are obeying the gospel in Ukraine? I can't believe it. Well, I can because I know the gospel really goes forth in times of conflict and struggle. It's when we're fat and happy that we tend not to talk about things of spiritual impact and spiritual importance. When Israel was fleeing Egypt, they get up to the Red Sea. And they look out and they say, behold, the Egyptians, you know, they say to God, is it because there are no graves in Egypt you have taken us to die in the wilderness? What you have done to bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? I wonder if they really said that. I kind of have a feeling they didn't. They were just thinking they should have. And Moses said... Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. I'm saying, Moses saying, God's in control. Don't worry about things. 
God is in control. So as we hear about the war over in Ukraine and Russia and what's going on and possible, you know, I think it was this morning's news, a missile hit close to a base that was just outside of the Polish border. What if an errant missile would have struck in Poland? You know, that's a NATO country. And an attack on one country is an attack on all countries. There's a danger. But God is in control. We must pray that God will intervene in this conflict and cause Putin and his forces to flee. But if they, if it gets bigger, we pray for God's church to be faithful. We pray for God's church to tell people about Christ. Because when we're feeling safe and saved, we get a little bit lazy. We get a little bit forgetful, and that leads to sin. Sin will lead to suffering. And that suffering will lead to crying out to God once again, who will hear us and who will save us. But we have to hope that we'll all wake up and see that we need God before calamity strikes us. There's a rich man in the Gospel of Luke. He was going to tear down his house and build bigger barns because his harvest was so great. He was going to sit back and relax. I've got more than enough to see me through retirement. And God said, this soul, this night, your very soul is required of you. Now who gets what you have? You're going the way of all mankind. And all this stuff you've accumulated is gone. The master is returning home to take his faithful home. One of these days, we don't know what day that is. It may be when death comes knocking on our door personally. Or it may be when Jesus, the trumpet sounds and he takes us home. Will you be ready? Count your blessings today and look forward to that time that God will return because he is in control. Even in the midst of a World War III, which I pray doesn't happen, God is in control. God's people need to rise up and pray that God will put an end to this conflict in Ukraine and Russia. God needs to rise up and show us. And we need to rise up and show that we know that God is in control by trusting him and by counting all of the blessings that he gives us. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're dealing with. But know this, God is in control and he wants you to be with him forever. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, you have something on your heart that you want to deal with. You want the prayers of your brothers and sisters or you want to put Christ on in baptism? Why don't you please come to him while we stand and while we sing?